Hey everyone, this is Jordan Van Trump, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of How I Built This Ag Business. Just wanted to let everyone know this podcast is sponsored by the company I started right out of college called AgSwag. I'm sure like many of the other disruptors on this podcast, I started this company searching for cooler stuff and better service. One of my first tasks when I got out of college was finding some cool hats for my dad's business, as my family and their friends always struggled to source quality swag throughout the years. I started this company only making a few hats and have been fortunate enough to meet some of the top business leaders in the ag industry along the way. I've worked with some of the biggest disruptors currently in the space, such as FBN, Benson Hill, Pivot Bio, Pattern Ag, Holganics, as well as many veterans such as Cargill, Nutrien, Dairy Farmers of America, Kent Corp, CGB, Helena, and the list goes on and on. Throughout this journey of providing swag to various companies in agriculture, I've had the opportunity to learn some of the best business lessons, hacks, marketing strategies, and many other things to take my company to scale and become more successful throughout the years. My intentions of this series is to bring on guests that I've had the opportunity to work with over the years to tell their story and hopefully help you build your business in the future. Hope you enjoy. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of How I Built This Ag Business. Today we have uh, Craig Yunker and Christian Yunker with uh, CY Farms out of Western New York on the uh, show today. They started uh, way back when in 1951 with the 25 cow dairy operation. And now they have over 6,000 acres of crops, including corn, beans, wheat, barley, alfalfa, cabbage, onions, green peas, and spinach. On top of all this, they also have a commercial sod business and they also have a, a custom dairy raising business serving over 4,000 head of uh, cattle. Um, I think we're going to learn a little more about that. I saw some stuff online and uh, wasn't quite sure exactly what you guys did, but uh, welcome you to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, so uh, Craig, your dad started the farm. I guess let's just start there with uh, how this whole operation got started. Yeah, so my father was uh, the younger brother of, uh, he had an older brother that stayed on the home farm. So uh, my father, after uh, after college, uh, was, you know, looking for a place to start his own. And he, his college roommate was a real estate guy, and he uh, found found this farm. Dad, he, dad couldn't afford to buy the 200 acres. It was a bigger farm. He was looking for a 75, 80 acre farm. And this was a 200 acre farm and he couldn't, couldn't afford to buy it. So he, uh, he rented it with an option to purchase. They set the option price at $23,000 and dad ran with that option for 15, 16 years before he ever exercised it, you know. He uh, basically spent his capital on cows and equipment and rented some more acreage and um, let that option ride on the home farm until I was 16 before he finally exercised the option. So he, 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 he was milking about 60 cows when I went off to college. And, uh, you know, my brother and I grew up milking cows before and after school. Um, so... And then when is the, the big expansion for dairy? Was well, it's when when I came back from college is when we uh, we built a freestyle barn and uh, built a parlor and bought bought a, bought two herds of cows and ramped it up. We were about three hundred cows then milking three times a day. 
And then, uh, I don't know if you remember the dairy herd buyout back in the 80s when uh, government, uh, you know, they, they had supported the price of milk by buying butter and powder. And they had so much butter and powder in storehouses that they uh, offered a contract to uh, buy out uh, dairymen. Uh, we had a, the contract was a, a bid. You'd bid to uh, go into the contract. You couldn't milk cows for five years. Uh, you couldn't sell your cows for dairy. You could sell them for beef. Um, we we bid pretty high. Um, didn't expect to get taken, but got taken. So we were out of the dairy business. And, uh, um, you know, uh, so we transitioned the farm from uh, that dairy into uh, cash crops. So we started growing corn, corn and uh, wheat and soybeans and realized we wanted some more high value crops and started adding some vegetables. So that was that was in 86 around there. Christian, uh, Christian joined us here in uh, what year? Oh wait, oh wait. He, he went to college and then worked for Farm Credit for six years before he came home. And uh, we've been we bought we bought the turf farm in uh, the late nineties and uh, 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 Ag Cooperative Agway had started this heifer raising operation. They, they wanted to demonstrate to uh, New York farmers how to raise heifers the, the right way. So they were looking for uh, a place to build a dairy heifer replacement facility. Uh, we, we leased them a site and uh, they built the facility. Um, when Agway filed bankruptcy and, and uh, we, we bought the operation from Eggway. So that's how we ended up with two other businesses. We bought a side farm that was in trouble financially, and we bought the heifer facility out of bankruptcy. So we ended up in three businesses instead of one. I like it. I like it. Finding, uh, yeah, having some dry powder around when other people get in trouble a little bit pays off sometimes for sure. We, we like the uh, you know when we when we left the dairy business we had we had good soils good fertility from the manure from the, the milk and herd and uh, after ten years of no cow manure we 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 were missing it and the uh, the heifer operation allowed us to uh, work forages alfalfa into our crop rotation and also gave us. Uh, nutrients from the animals and both of those things provided synergies for our vegetable cash crop operation. Do, do a lot of farms up there where you guys are at, and you said you were in the Western part of New York, do they grow a large variety of crops like you guys do, or are you kind of different? In that? They do. It's a, it's a, it's a pretty diversified area here. The Western, the Western Northwestern part of the state where we have is, is this is the largest ag base um, in New York. There's certainly a lot of uh, dairy operations around here, um, but as you get up closer to the lake, there's a lot of there's a lot of diversified fruit. Um, there's there's fruit, fruit up along the lake, and then there's a lot of vegetables just south of that. And then um, you got to go, and then you start to get 
into even higher and higher dairy cow numbers um, as you kind of move south into the into the state. But um, yeah, there's there's definitely similar operations like us that are that grow quite a few. There's a lot of processing vegetables growing around here. There's several processors here, so um, and we also sit on a, a pretty decent sized pocket of peat or muck lands that um, it's good size onion growing region right here too. So we have one of the largest onion growers is a neighbor here on the East Coast next to us. And we grow a few onions as well. Did you grow direct for the end user? Do you go grow direct for a company that's buying direct from you? Or do you have to find a way to market that at the end of the year? We, we, we pack onions, um, but we, we don't go direct to supermarkets. We go to a jobber that would uh, distribute to supermarkets. Yeah. yeah, I didn't know if you were growing specifically for one company that was having you guys grow. No, you just... No, it, it, our, our, our onions would show up, you know, and up and down the East Coast. A lot of the guys, I have some, a, lot of, a few producers up in Canada that grow small baby tomatoes or some of the other tomatoes for, but they'll direct, you know, they're like have a contract kind of already locked in with uh, someone that's making tomato sauce or some type of Italian sauce or something. And, you know, we, we, grew, we grew tomatoes for, for a while back in the uh, late eighties, early nineties for a processor in uh, uh, Pennsylvania. We grew a couple hundred acres of tomatoes for a food processor. It was interesting interesting business yeah it seems like they're wild the price swings are extremely volatile and wild for sure. yeah well uh, you know onions we onions we, it's all open market we don't have any contracts okay. and uh you know because of the there's 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 no demand elasticity for onions you know people people buy the same number of onions when they go to the supermarket whether they're cheap or expensive they just you know you need one or two onions and that's it so when the supply is short, onions will get really high priced. Yep, and yep. when they're long, they get pretty cheap. So there's very volatile market in the onion business. How do you guys hedge that? <laughs> Other crops. It's, it's the diversity, you know? No, I hear you. you really can't hedge the actual onion prices though, right? No, no. no they, they tried it. They had uh, onions on the futures market for, for uh, one or two years and a bunch of... Uh, uh, growers tried to corner the market and it raised hell and they it actually happened right in our uh, right in our town here back in what the 60s yeah and, and it's the, the only it, it, there were actually congress passed a law that said there can be no futures market in onions and it's the only crop that they that they've ever passed that law because these guys tried to corner the market oh boy right up there in your area that's that's funny too funny so how much, uh, we consider ourselves uh, our, our mix of crops a lot like Michigan, you know. Yeah, Michigan has has the Great Lakes, and they have fruit and grain and dairy and vegetables, and um, the same part. This part of New York State's the same way. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty up there for sure. When the uh, when the dairy went out of business, and you guys started growing crops, how how many acres you guys start with? Oh, I think we're farming about 400 acres on the 300 cows, uh, roughly, you know, uh, and then we, then we started running, running some more farms. We bought a, we bought an operation that had a small, uh, grain facility and, uh, we, we hired the guy 
and uh, we we picked up all of his his ground and his rented ground. Um, same way we got in the onion business, we bought bought a uh, an onion farm, and the guy came to work for us and sort of taught us how to grow onions. Same, same with the turf business. Same with the turf business, we you know bought the turf farm and hired the the two sons. One one helped us with the production. The other guy was a sales guy, and um, that's how we got in the turf business. What what's ground go for up in your guys' neck of the woods? I, I we don't have a lot of. Uh, for I mean, you're probably anywhere from on the low end now would be thirty five hundred up to six, seven, eight thousand probably. We I bought think. three parcels this year, right? Three three different blocks. The, we bought some muck that was like ten thousand dollars an acre, and then we just bought a, a farm that was about five thousand dollars an acre. And the, the Byron was about Byron six, Byron 60, 6,200. 6, yeah. So that's sort of the range, you know. What will those, what's, what's that? What will those yield say APH on corn? One, 170, 180. Wow. Well, that's really good. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, ground down here, you know, has some of it that's bringing that. Hell, we're up and it's stupid, silly money. So, I mean, we heard some guys. You just saw that sale in Nebraska for twenty. I'm, I'm like, some some farmers got in a serious bidding war there. It sounds like the math. The math. How do you make the math work there? I don't even have a clue. I. Yeah, so several I, generations. It's going to take. Several yeah, it's going to take a long time for sure. Yeah, we had some friends selling some ground out by us, and they're wanting fifteen, sixteen thousand an acre, and I mean. I'm just like, how does that pencil? And I, I told Jordan, I said, well, it certainly doesn't pencil for mom and I. It might pencil for you and your family or your kids maybe one day, but I don't, man, I just, I don't know. It seems crazy what some of these prices are. And then the rents are getting silly again. You know, everybody, a lot of people paying over four and 500 again on rents in some of these areas. I'm just like, wow, I don't, yeah. I don't know how that works if prices break. It's going to be crazy, so. We're going to find out, I guess, especially these higher interest rates. I, you got to worry about if you're going to lose some demand. I, I know those people, I mean, a lot of people are still paying cash and being cash buyers on some of this ground, but boy, when there's other alternatives for your money now, you know, and you get four or five, 6% in other areas, I, I don't know. I mean, what do you, you're a former farm credit guy. What do you, what do you think is going to happen here with the rates going higher? It's going to, it's certainly going to put, pressure on the industry there's, there's no doubt about it it's going to put it's going to put pressure on investment and capital and you know i don't know how long i mean the interest rate hikes i mean i mean you know we get we got to stabilize this thing at some point here don't we the fed meets this week right yeah i mean now what, what would you say interest rates are going to do here in the next 12 to 18 months i, don't, I think they creep higher i mean it feels like to me i mean we said several months back, you know, some of my buddies and big hedge fund traders thought they had peaked. And I still feel like they're going to have to creep higher because I don't see how you slow inflation on the wage growth side. Uh, it doesn't seem like we're going to get that tapered back anytime soon. And food, you know, housing and food inflation don't, don't feel like they're going to back tick a whole lot. So, well, right now we have an inverted yield curve, right? And, yep. and that, that, that means a recession's coming, generally speaking. Yeah, I agree. I think I think we got to have a recession to get this um, this thing tamed. 
Yeah, you would have to believe so. I mean, until you slow that wage inflation down in some of the employment, I don't see how you, no one's going to taper off on buy. I mean, when we go out and about in the last few months, I, it doesn't feel like anything slowed down to us, does it, to you guys up there? I mean, people seem like they're still out spending. You know, we worry about uh, the housing market with being in the, in the turf side business yeah. um, and construction, but it hasn't slowed down this we haven't seen it slow down. It's it's still pretty brisk. I'm starting to hear about it, though. I mean, like that in, that interest rate pressure is definitely affecting affecting home sales and prices and, and buyers for sure. I mean, it's been yeah. differently now that those interest rates. Yeah, the builders seem like they're definitely slowing. I have a few buddies that own different you know, subcontracting companies. One guy's a gutter guy, owns a big gutter business, and one owns a big concrete foundation business. And, yeah, they say right now, I mean, you're, they're finishing up some of the last homes that were a lot of the bigger builders have been doing. And they said, man, after that, it looks pretty, pretty yeah. dry out there on the horizon for new construction anyway, at least in our neck of the woods. Uh, one of the one of the guys that works for us, his uh, had his area. Oh, they listed it for 780 and got like 850 two days later. I mean, just a couple weeks ago. So, I mean, I think it's pockets are still hot you know maybe some things are cooling down but yeah i was interested in what your guys thoughts were being in that turf business it's you kind of have to forecast a little bit out on that new construction well so we 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 see so we see our inventory here in august but then we're seeding inventory for two years from now so we're seeding in inventory for 2024 so what, what's the market going to be in 2024 it's it's definitely uh, it's it's a challenge to manage because because side inventory is expensive to maintain. So as we're uh, you know deciding how many acres to put in, it's it's a challenge to forecast two years out for sure. Do you guys mainly sell to builders all your turf or? Kind of oh, builders, you know a lot a lot of municipalities, uh, school districts, athletic fields, golf courses. Um, let the landscapers are the largest of the customer base, whether it's homes or commercial type jobs, but a lot, of, a lot of, uh, municipal work or towns putting in baseball fields or, you know, again, school districts or whatever, those, those are the, the larger jobs. So are you guys like going out actively selling your turf or are you kind of just letting people come to you? No, we, we have, we have a sales manager and, uh, you know, we, 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 we sell, you know, how many acres is the turf business? What's that consist of? Is that quite a bit? About 300. 300. Wow. Yeah. It's a good chunk. Yeah. That keeps them busy. It's definitely the, the highest value crop we have really? on a per acre basis for sure. Huh. So what, like what sets you apart in the turf business or with other people up there? Is it pricing or you guys just have better, better grass? Quality. You know, a lot the, the the other turf growers that we know, that's all they're doing, and they don't have a rotation. And um, you know, we 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 use a rotation, and it helps helps clean up the soil, helps clean the foreign grasses out of there. Um, we we think it's the the quality that gives us market share. Quality and, and customers customer, customer service. service. Yeah, we're, we're you know when when. Contractors want their sod there at, at seven in the morning. You know, it's it's a perishable product, and, and our guys will come in early and get it there. Our competitors won't always do that. So a little, little bit of both. I, I used to, 
I laid sod when I was a kid. So I knew a lot of the sod guys around here and I'd never heard of any of them doing a rotation. So is that, yeah, you're one of the few probably up there. Is that, yeah, well, we, you know, we probably have the largest acreage under, under cultivation of any of the sod farms, you know? And so we, and, and, you know, the, uh, this pocket of muck that we're next to, um, we grow onions on the deepest muck, but the shallower muck, the, you know, the older muck that's become shallow, that makes great turf grass uh, production. So we, we, we like that. It grows fast. and it, it, Very high, high organic matter, grows fast, no rocks. Yeah. Makes, it's, it's nice, nice for growing grass, for sure. What will you rotate it with, the sod? Uh, corn or... Wow. We, yeah. Yeah. yeah cool. Huh. We also have a uh, we have a soccer park. Um, that's uh, we got we partnered up with the the local. Uh, we have a city of about twenty thousand five miles from us, and the uh, the community was short of playing fields, and we had a we have some sod fields close to town, and um partnering up with them and now we have uh, a soccer park that has 12 full-size soccer fields and we also not only is it used for the community during the summer but we um draw some quite a few out-of-town tournaments from all over multi-state multi-state all over the northeast region will come to because there's 12 full-size fields on a pocket of muckling it's perfectly flat soft high really high quality playing fields so. Community's got to love that. That's great for the kids. And it's a feel-good project, you know. We don't make a lot of money on it, but it makes yeah. you feel good. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, those are good to do for sure. So what, what's this? What's this commodity uh, business going to do here? Uh, what do What do you see? Uh, you know, uh, the stocks, the stocks, the world stocks are are fairly tight, um, but. Uh, Input costs are, are climbing. So what are, what are we going to see in, in this commodity business? What? Yeah, it feels like I'm with you. The input costs are definitely going to alter some, you would think, some global acres. I, it's hard for me to believe that they're going to roll out as much corn as you might think in South America. I think they got to make some switches to the beans or maybe some wheat in some areas and, and hope to get uh, good weather. I think you get a weather hiccup anywhere. We'd probably post another leg higher. Uh, if we don't, though, I, I guess, you know, you're going to have a tough time getting the funds on board uh, to really, you know, we need the funds to drive prices higher. And if you got the dollar strong and fear of a global recession, it's it's tough to get them really pulled up without a serious supply side worry. So that's why I said it's probably going to take a pretty big weather scare uh, in South America or here next spring to to give us that other leg. We probably chop sideways to lower, I suspect, maybe until then, but. You know, we got to get that weather. There's got to be a weather card come into the mix or else it's probably probably tough to see a major, at least in my opinion, uh, just with China. seems like China wants to buy less and less from the U.S. I mean, I know they have to be a buyer right here, but, uh, you know, it seems like they're trying to do less and less, whether it's, you know, in, in all the commodities. And I guess we'll see what Russia has up their sleeve and how China plays the uh, cards with Taiwan. It seems to be a... A lot of geopolitical, you know, mess in the mix as well here. So I, I, I think that's, you know, prices are high, but like you said, it's tough to hedge when you're up here with looking at the input costs like everyone is. You, uh, 
you hearing anything about fertilizer falling off? Uh, there's rumors about fertilizer prices maybe tailing off, or are you buying fertilizer now? Yeah, we've heard some things that we may, you know, taper back some. I think that could be obviously the case, especially if something. It's it's tough for me to say that it's going to improve a great deal when you have Europe, who was a big exporter, now an importer of fertilizer and inputs and. You know, I think until that situation changes within Ukraine and Russia, which I don't know if it's going to change anytime soon, especially with the sanctions and China's tightened down their uh, exporting of any type of, uh, you know, a lot of inputs. So I, I think we're going to remain tight. I don't think we're going to be out of supply anywhere. It, it doesn't feel like or anything like that. You do have some rail issues or shortage concerns that could limit transportation in some places, but. Yeah, I think any breaks probably have to be buying opportunities in, in input side of things. Same, same that we were saying with diesel fuel, you know, a month or two ago, we were talking about buying some diesel just on the break there that summer. And hell, here we go. I mean, it's tied up in your area, isn't diesel pretty yeah, tight? Very much. Yeah. I've heard that. It's nuts. It's crazy to think where we were at and now here we are here. So I, I don't know. I don't worry about the about the river and getting uh, uh, fertilizer up the river. Um, For sure. Yeah, I agree. And the problem is a lot of the fertilizer input, uh, a lot of the fertilizer companies, especially some of the smaller ag retailers, they're not inventorying anything like they used to inventory. You know, now they're, hell, they act more like a bank. I mean, you know, they got a lot of lines of credit out to people and uh, they just don't inventory near as much. So you could have some spot shortages, I think, for sure. Uh, if you get a rail strikes or, barge problems on the rivers or things of that nature. So yeah, it seems like you gotta be buying. How does the, uh, how does the dairy helping you guys with fertilizer stuff right now quite a bit or? Yeah, well, we wish we had more manure. You know, we, we told a, we told a neighboring dairy farmer uh, this week to feel free to, if he had to get rid of some nutrients nearby, we'd take them, so. So, so do you guys own any of those at your operation or are those Someone else owns those and you guys are, it's just your facilities. It's just our facilities. Yeah. yeah. It's a feedlot. It's a feedlot. Feed okay. Yeah. For, for dairy heifers. Okay. We have what, five, we have five, four or five customers in there, dairy farms. You know, yeah. we have, we have a yardage uh, and then yardage plus feed, you know, and, and so. Uh, and do you pump out the, do you pump the manure and liquefy it and pump it to the fields or is that how you? Yeah. We do both. We we pump it underground and put it on trucks too. We'll, we'll both. Yeah, yeah. We've had we've had some operations around here that yeah, that's <laughs> a big help for them and a big windfall. They've been close to dairies or have a dairy of their own, yeah. things of that nature. So yeah. So are you are you charging those people like per per cow or per, per basis or per day? So per head per, per, head per day. Yeah. So there's a there's a daily uh, board charge, and then we calculate all the we put all the feed costs into uh, into a spreadsheet and divide it over the number of the number of head, and and come up every month come up with a different price based on the price of feed. So why are why are most of these people outsourcing to you guys? They are, are they just out of room at their place, or? Yeah, they're trying to utilize their you know they're trying to utilize all their land base and all their their barn space. With, with their dairy cows and they, you know, outsource their, outsource their young stock. Part, part of it is, um, you know, with CAFO, you, you need, you need to have enough land for nutrient management uh, to, if you have a CAFO permit. And so 
you know, it's one way that they can export nutrients off their own farm by shipping their animals up here. Um, that's, that saves their land base for nutrients from milk cows. So. And feed. And feed. Yeah. Some of the uh, dairy feedlots that we deal with in Kansas or out in Western Kansas, I think they were feeding for uh, some farms in Wisconsin and even some in Germany. Do you yeah. guys get anything from far away or is it mostly? Uh, there's enough dairy cows in New York. <laughs> yeah. What do you guys, a lot of DDGs, a lot of meal, what do you feed everything? Corn silage and haylage. A lot of haylage and, and distillers. We, you know, we've, we've got an ethanol plant uh, nearby. A lot of our corn goes there and uh, get, you know, uh, distillers back out of there. Yeah, yeah. Are you guys just using your corn and stuff to feed all the cows or? Yeah. 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 And haylage, we grow, we grow a fair amount of alfalfa and put that through the heifers too. What do you take them up to a certain weight or do they keep them with you for a certain? They, they, we, we, we breed them here. Yeah, we take them weaned and, and, you know, they're usually here for 20, 22 months and we breed them and oh, okay. they're ready to freshen some of them. Yeah, perfect. Perfect. So, uh, Craig, whose idea was it to really start expanding the uh, crop side of the business? Was that your idea or your dad's? Um, when, you know, when when the uh, we, we were we were we were milking a lot of cows, and Dad was always a dairyman. And when the dairy herd buyout came along, um, you know, we had we had. Uh, We'd build our own parlor with some used equipment and we had cows coming out of our ears. We had some heifers and rented facilities. So we didn't have a big capital investment per cow. So I thought it made sense that we bid this dairy herd buyout. And, um, you know, I, dad, dad was, I think, pretty reluctant because, um, you know, that, that would mean a, a radical change. And I said, well, let's just bid high enough that, that we won't get taken. And there's, there's always a price. And um, so we put in a fairly high bid. We were, but once you bid it, you sign the contract, you know, and they just started with, a, with the cheapest bids and went up until they got the volume of dairy out of, out of production that they wanted. So once we signed the contract, we just waited and uh, they got up to our bid. We were surprised. Um, I, I think my dad was very surprised, but it, I, I saw it as an opportunity. It was, you know, it was a big chunk of money and we paid down debt and, uh, and moved on. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we did it. Um, but it was it was a uh, it's sort of when my dad uh, retired. You know? There there was a couple other times though that uh, Craig brought in a non-family partner back in the what mid mid nineties that um, and at that point there was a couple pretty significant acreage expansions. Um, one ended up being a couple thousand acre farm forty five miles away from here which was a big undertaking. And then um, actually also expanded and grew what a thousand acres of cabbage in Florida for yeah. um, six or eight years. So they, they weren't, they weren't uh, We'd, certainly not risk averse or certainly not, uh, not afraid to take chances um, by any stretch. No, it, on paper, it looked like we could, 
grow cabbage here in, in the summer and then uh, load up the transplanter and, and the sprayers and, and rent some duplexes down there for our, our boys and go down and, and uh, grow cabbage in the winter. And we, we, we found a farm he was growing potatoes and sweet corn. And cabbage was a good rotation because we could grow cabbage in the heart of the winter in uh, South Florida where they-, they Okeechobee. Grew, yeah, they're a little, little uh, iffy for the potatoes and corn, sweet corn, right in the middle of the winter. So we, we rented that thousand acres down there and uh, grew cabbage for a while. Uh, you know, we, it, it, it got old um, and we, we were, we were turning a lot of money, but the bottom line, we didn't think the bottom line justified the, the stress. The season started to overlap a little bit too much when, when they're still down there harvesting, we really needed to get back here and get some of the equipment in the boys home to, to start planning and, and vice versa. So you, you thought the seasons, you know, would, would work well and then they started to overlap and, yeah. Everyone got stretched pretty thin, and it was a lot, a lot of work for, you know, not, never to lose money, but it wasn't, the, the juice wasn't worth the squeeze. I think that's why I lost the the, the, the partner, you know, the, the, the partner that was, that, you know, was my succession plan. I didn't know what Christian was going to do. And um, so I, I had an employee that I had, had a lot of potential so we gave them a, a stake, you know, and I think that Florida farming sort of burned them out, you know. It was it was tough on all of us. Oh yeah, it all sounds good when you say it real fast, right? <laughs> and there it started going. Oh boy, it worked well on paper. I always say that. That's all the capital call checks and all the bad. You know, I tell my wife all the time, just the learning experiences. No. Yeah. We've had a lot of learning experiences through the years. I'll tell you that for sure. So, yeah, I always tell Jordan, I, my thing is, I always say with everything that everyone kind of overlooks the art side of things. You know, I think there's art and science involved in everything, whether it's hitting a baseball or, you know, whatever it may be. I mean, you can't just pop a videotape in and be like, oh, yeah, hell, I can go out and do that. Yeah. We do that a lot of times with our investments too, whether it's our farms we've invested in in South America or farms and other places are different types of business ideas or thoughts, man, it looks great on paper. Science side looks great. It looks like we can do it. And then once we get in there, it's like, Oh my goodness. But it, it's, it's all learning, you know, and uh, it's all learning and that's, you know, and, and, and it's gotta be fun. It's oh yeah. Be. Oh, you're right. You're right there. So any other interesting businesses that you've tried and haven't been as, <laughs> as planned or, we, we have a ton. So it's like, I, you know, I don't know. We always talk to every, every good business entrepreneur group seems like they've done and like you guys, you're doing all kinds of different, you know, you got some soccer fields over here. You got turf farms, you get a wide variety of crops. You're doing the. We partnered with a Canadian veal company for eight years and, and built a, built a building with them and got into partnership in the, in the veal business for wow. yeah. eight Eight yeah. years as it well. was during the mad cow thing and this yeah. Canadian outfit you know they they had a big veal market in New York City of course and when uh, when the border was shut to cattle because of the mad cow they they were looking for production of veal down down here in New York and uh, you know we we had a pretty good uh, we we had a CAFO and uh, 
we were already picking up female calves on, on dairy farms. So it looked like we could pick up the male calves too, the bull calves too. And uh, so we used our labor in the winter to build, help them build the barn. And we were in a, a joint deal with them on, in the veal business. Um, but, you know, they were vertically integrated and uh, we were only uh, partners in, in one part of it. And that didn't make for a long-term relationship. So. And, then, and then the veal industry kind of fell on its face. I mean, it, it was getting... It was on the, you know, it was on its way down anyway. And then COVID kind of put the nail in the coffin on the, the veal industry, really. I mean, it was it was starting to struggle anyway. I mean, the markets were were dwindling. And then, you know, then all of a sudden you shut every restaurant and the world off for a year. And it just kind of, yeah. that, that ended it. So that facility is empty and for sale, if you're interested. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love you sound like us doing all kinds of crazy stuff. What uh I got one for you. Jordan's about he's getting engaged, you know. He got engaged, he's gonna get married. What's uh yeah, worldly wisdom on the work-life balance? As you can imagine, our work-life balance here with my wife, it's pretty not much, not a lot of balance through the years. We're always doing, you know, we're in so many different things and so many different uh I guess ventures. It's tough to to get a ton of balance, but what how have you guys done it through the years? You know, when I, when I was uh, in graduate school, I had decided that uh, when, when I was decided to come back and farm, uh, I, was, I had been working on a PhD in, in Minnesota. And when I decided to come back and farm, I made a commitment to myself that I was going to spend 10% of my time on some avocation other than farming, other than, other than the core business to diversify my life and um, have other interests. And it, 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 you know, I didn't know what it was gonna be. It ended up sort of being public service type of thing. And so I'd you know, sit on a bank board and county legislature and, and uh, Cornell trustee, that kind of stuff. And Christian, Christian's doing the same kind of stuff. You know, he's got involved in, in local politics and uh, you know, sat on a hospital board and those kind of things. I think I think it, you know, it 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 helps. It helps make a lot of connections and have perspective outside of the farm for sure. Um, in terms of the the work life balance, it doesn't help that at all. <laughs> so I mean, I just it, it feels like every year. I mean, I have a 13, 10, and eight year old besides, and then uh, now doing county legislature as well. It's probably a you know, that's probably a 10 to 15 hour a week commitment besides, besides. Um, so right, right now, that's a bad, I would say that's a bad uh, question for me. I, I feel like it will get better. Um, it's, I guess it's just that phase of my life where kind of everything's happening at once, but um, you know, I, you need to, you need to also experience that, that heavy load that in the long run, you'll, you know, you'll have that perspective and, and have that much more appreciation when you do have more of it, I guess. Yeah, take care yeah. of her. Take yeah. care of her. Yeah, my wife always says, yeah, you, you said it was always, you said it was going to slow down and change. And it really slowed down and changed a whole lot. So I don't know. What are you doing with that, Jordan? Yeah. And it's, 
I guess we're just getting started over here. So <laughs> he's taking heat. Bad. He's taking heat. Don't let him lie. <laughs> They're like, my goodness, do we always have to be working? But I don't know. You know, I sat there, Craig. I we came from no money. My my folks didn't really have any money. My uh, wife's folks didn't. Have, and all they did was work. I mean, and that and my parents would wake me up super early and have to work and help my dad. And yep. we didn't know anything either. It's just and it's it's hard when you don't know anything any different. I tell everyone like, you know, it's like you just can't keep the oars in the in the boat when you go canoeing. I mean, we just don't know how to sit and do nothing. We'll sit here on the weekends. My wife and I just like looking at each other, and then I'll go out and get some hairbrain. You know, I'm I'm buying a veal. <laughs> getting in the veal business or something crazy so it's like we've got to slow it down we got to figure out our, how to do our biggest weakness is definitely downtime i think <laughs> yeah. Yeah. when we get in downtime we t- or if i go on vacation they'll all the kids and the workers be like oh gosh he's going to come back with 600 new ideas and here we go again so i don't know i guess we'll just well, that's why you go to you know your 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 uh, event like FarmCon and or top producers or those kind of meetings. You know, they're good to talk to other guys and uh, know what's going on and uh, you know always come back with with good ideas from from those events. Um, I congratulate you guys for for that FarmCon uh, uh, thing. It, it, we we we. We both had conflicts, but we're definitely interested in that kind of event. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, and Jordan and I have committed to doing that. We need to do that again, Jordan, this year. We haven't set our date up, but we usually go two or three times. We try to go at least a couple times to conferences completely outside our comfort zone. Like, like you guys are staying with your legislative time spent uh, with the community and things like that. We try and go to something completely outside, just – to meet new content, just think and look at things a little differently. And then you maybe take their ideas and then we can apply into our ag, into our ag businesses. But, you know, I think that helps us a lot. Don't you, Joe? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we just get, I think we don't try to, but we just get narrow-minded in a yeah. sense, just talking to farmers and people in the ag industry all the time and same old, same old, and then kind of get a different view of looking at things just just looking in just inside to somebody else's business and some of the stuff they're applying, not in agriculture at all, or maybe taking those ideas and applying them to our business. So um, helps a ton with like new tech companies, stuff like that, doing different pay models and all that kind of stuff. Like, I wonder if this could work here or here. And yeah, um, it's hard as business owners not to get trapped into better sameness. I had a, few buddies that were big time CEOs and uh, you know, they would just be like, your business is always going to try and pull you toward better sameness and better sameness. A lot of times is, you know, it can be a, a tricky little deal where you starts to squeeze gross and squeeze profits and margins and, you know, better sameness is tough. So you got to, that's why we say we got to try and get outside of our own space to take a look a little differently. So I'm sure you guys see that. That's why it's nice to talk to you guys up in New York. We're hearing a lot of things that we don't normally hear. So what about uh you guys mentioned earlier how you bought the turf business you bought that onion farm and then those guys came and worked for you after once you bought it how 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 was that dynamic was that was that something tricky you had to deal with or were they wanting to work for you or kind of going to blow you know on on the turf farm um the we we 
we actually made the deal on the farm uh, before we knew we were going to be in the turf business. We, we sort of made the deal and then got to thinking about it and asked the, asked the father, what are you going to do with the equipment? And, and so I'm going, to, I'm going to sell it. And uh, out walking, walking the farm and walking over to all this nice grass and just decided to, you know, make a deal to buy the equipment too. And then um, transitioning, you know, the, the, I asked, the, what, what are the boys going to do? Well, they don't really know. So we, we, we gave them a pretty good contract to uh, stay with us for a couple of years to make sure that we could transition the business. Uh, the father retired. But, um, you know, I, yeah, they, that, I think that helped us transition customers, you know, because they, they knew the salesman. And, uh, you know, we, we learned from that. That, that was that. And I'm sure for those guys, too, they kind of, you know, at least they, yeah. They uh, had a way to transition out of being, you know, under their management of their their father and having a, you know, like different different structure and, until they figured out what they wanted to do too. Then with the one guy that was selling selling sod, he 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 sold sod for us for I don't know three four years I think, and then he went to work for a fuel distributor and we buy fuel from him now. So, oh, wow. yeah, yeah, and you know. Transport load of propane. I just texted him about two hours ago. So, is there any like any crops you guys went into that you were just completely blinded on? Just like, hey, let's just start growing, growing some spinach, or let's start growing these peas, and you had just no guidance on. Yeah. Well, oh. when we started growing tomatoes, oh. we had never been in a tomato field, and uh, this this uh, this crew of this family of Mexicans pulled in the yard and heard we were going to grow tomatoes. And they said, you want some help? And I said, sure. And uh, they basically taught us how to grow tomatoes. You know, they, they, uh, so, yeah. And now, now some of those, some of those uh, family members still, still work yes, for us. They're still, they're still here. Oh, wow. Good. Yeah. We, no, uh, we, we got into a deal growing uh, green roofs, you know. Uh, oh, yeah, I forgot about that one. You know, uh, a French company. Yeah, you you know how they have living roofs on on, on some of these, uh, you know, for LEED certification, you know, for a sustainable uh, building. Uh, architects have this LEED L E E D certification, and you get credits for having you know a growing roof. So a green roof, and um, it was. There was a company in, in France that was looking to expand into North America. They were they had been in it for a while, and they showed up uh, looking. Actually, they walked in the office. They said we're looking to buy a farm. We want to grow green roofs. So the the idea of the green roof is obviously it's aesthetically pleasing, but it's also stormwater management. So in a city. You know, it'll it'll take the water, it'll hold the water up there, use the water from a rain event to actually grow the plants and keeps all that water out of storm. storm water. It also, you know, obviously deflects the, the sunlight and the heat from an asphalt roof. So a city like Toronto was, um, it actually became a requirement for all new construction to have a green roof. So there, there's this French company that is looking to move into North America and they kind of put a, a 
a pin in the U.S. and they say, oh, well, there's Toronto, there's New York, there's Boston, there's Philly, there's, you know, Chicago, there's Pittsburgh. And it's like, if you put a pin on our farm, I don't know how many millions of people are within 500 miles a year, but it's, you know, it's a, bunch. Center, it's a bunch. So they just kind of, and then they somehow heard about Cornell and his name. And then all of a sudden they showed up at the door and said, you know, this is an area we want to buy a farm and start growing green roofs. And so well, why do you want to buy, just come over here and buy a farm. Just yeah, partner with us. We have, yeah. we have land, we have labor. We have, why don't, why don't we work together on it? So we started growing green roofs with them and uh, shipping and growing those all over. All of they ended up all over the U.S. and Canada, and yeah, Dallas and Miami and Washington D.C. Yeah, I mean, they go on library. You know, you can't really afford to put them on a, you know, on a commercial building. It just doesn't pay you. You got to handle the snow load. And but for you know libraries and universities and public buildings, you know, they 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 want that lead certification and they. So, yeah, like one of the largest ones was on a, was it a parking garage in, in uh, yeah. Montreal or yeah. something. Yeah. You know, those, those so we did things. that for, I don't know, a number of years. Um, the, 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 the company in, in, uh, in France, I, I think they, they ran into some headwinds. Um, they're still... They're they didn't realize. I think they, they had a really um, a great, a great high-quality product. But very expensive. They had these patented trays. The trays lock together. You grow the meat. You put the growing medium on. You grow the plants in these trays, and then the trays lock together, almost like a, a sod or whatever. So they're kind of pre-made, you know, trays that you would bring up to the top of the roof. They lock together, and then the water can you, the the tray itself is water storage, and then it uses that storage as well for the plants. And uh, they had a really high quality product, but then they came to the U.S. And the U.S. was just kind of getting into this, and they're like, "Wow, the the U.S. can be a very competitive market." I think they realize that, like, bang, all of a sudden you get these competitors in the U.S., and it just, you know, they're just amazed by the the competitiveness of a new of a new industry in the U.S. How quickly markets can form, and you know, they they were kind of blown away by that. It's just different than a, you know, the a, a French, you know, type of <laughs> Um, economy. Kind of work economy, right? <clears throat> so we're not doing it anymore. But long story short, <laughs> we we did that for several years. I learned something new every day. I never even heard of it. So I didn't know there were people that grew the. I knew I've seen the green roofs, but I never. I knew there grew them, and like you said, you guys partake. How long does it take to grow one of those? They use um, so they use cutting their the sedums or the plants, so they're. They're basically almost like mini mini, mini cactus. They're uh, very resilient. They don't they don't require a lot of water. They can have you know water storage for a long time, and they they're just can they have very high tolerance to, to tough conditions. But three four months, you, you spread the the you take a, a mature tray of sedums, and they take a lawnmower and clip off the the top, and then take those um, clippings. Throw them on a new tray and and, and water them. So in, in a matter of you know four months or something like that, you've got marketable trade. Well, what were what were people paying for those? Oh, oh god, crazy! 
Very, very expensive. Very expensive. And, and, and of course, the, the shipping is expensive too. So you, you put them on a truck and, uh, you know, it's a, it's very high end jobs. I mean, the building's got to be engineered to handle the weight. The, yeah. you know, these, these are all millions of dollars. Oh, you know, yeah. Yeah. Silly dollars. Yeah. My daughter works for a fancy architect firm in New York. So, you know, I'm sure that they do. She knows about it. Yeah. She'll know. Exactly. New York is a huge market, obviously. Boy, crazy for sure. So, well, Jordan, what else we got? We're about wrapping up. Uh, yeah, I was going to ask one What on Christian, what was, uh, what was your, why'd you decide to go work for farm credit out of uh, college and not come back to the farm? So I, uh, I mean, I, I grew up here working on this farm, but, um, it was just, it was actually always something that my parents, Craig and mom always kind of encouraged that, um, you know, you're going to go off to school. I went to school at Cornell, um, went there for finance and they always thought that it'd be a good idea to, to go off and, and work for somebody else and, and live somewhere else. Um, for a while. For a while, you know. Just, <laughs> um, I, we, we sort of had a five-year minimum you know, um, that he had to do something else for at least five years and it can't be flipping hamburgers. It's gotta be a, a career. And we thought it would be good, you know, to, to, to have that perspective. And also, you know, you, you, you bring a son back into a business when you have an existing management team. And I think that, he, he had more credibility with the rest of our management team having worked someplace else rather than coming here right out of school. So less disruptive. And farm credit, you know, they, they do a, it's, it's nice because you um, get to still be in the ag industry and to, <clears throat> to get the training of farm credit and then to analyze all these businesses, their behaviors, good and bad, and the, the finances. Um, Again, it's just a great perspective, great, great training, um, <clears throat> and living in a whole different area. I lived, I lived in New Jersey, um, where I had, I went to Cornell. I had a bunch of buddies that were from New York and Philadelphia. So in my early twenties, I got to live between New York and Philadelphia and do what you're supposed to do in your early twenties, um, and not have, you know, I had, I actually played golf a lot and had weekends and holidays and all that kind of stuff, which was which was kind of great. Um, so that, that was, you know, and I got a, just a great perspective. Um, and, uh, and then when it was time to have a family, I didn't want to have in New Jersey. So I spent six years down there and then, uh, then moved back in 2008. And it was, yeah, perfect. Wouldn't have changed it. Yeah. Yeah. I think you couldn't script it much better than that. So yeah, I, I like thought of yeah, going out and getting some diversification and seeing some things from a different view and come back home and for sure to the table so yeah it's great yeah, so what's the uh i guess to end off what's the uh farm look like moving forward or are you starting to fully take over christian or yeah he's already running the farm you know i'm i'm supposed to be i'm supposed to i'm 72 and uh he's retiring five percent a year so and that's also that's how we we also split up the, oh, the yeah. so every year he's you know we kind of we uh, that's also how we how we are handling the 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 equity at 
every year. So, so no, I, I'm actually retiring by 10% a year. We're 50-50 we're management responsibility, right? And at 65, I said over 10 years, I'm gonna retire by 10% a year. So I'm, I went, so the first year, I was then 45% of management and he was 55. And so every year it changed by, my, by 10% a year. So by the time I'm 75, I'm, I'm, I'm out. And I think the, the idea is that I've seen too many farms where an 80 year old man was calling all the shots and his 60 year old son was still taking orders from, from dad. And I said, that's not going to happen here. Um, we're going to have the heat. There's going to be a light at the end of the tunnel when he knows he doesn't have to put up with me anymore. <laughs> but I don't want him to retire. He still has plays a huge, huge, you know, a massive role here. I, I still feel like I need a partner. I need, I need someone to talk to every day about management issues, about he's really the, he's really the CFO role. He does all our, you know, does all our monthly accounting and he's, you know, he's still really kind of managing um, the office, so to speak. So I'm not, I'm not necessarily ready for that either. So I think we got a few more years left in them, hopefully. That sounds awesome. Cool. Sure. I think yeah, that's any, all I had on my end. Yeah, anything we didn't ask you that we should? Either one of you? I don't know. Really, really appreciate what, yeah. what you guys are doing. Really enjoyed. We read you every day. Yeah, you know, you know, appreciate. I appreciate you guys taking the time to give back. I, I love the transparency and openness, and we don't hear uh, from a lot of folks up in your way. And even though you're Bills fans, we're gonna get let that pass. And like I said, <laughs> can all be good. Yeah, like you said, I think I think we're gonna be doing this for a while, and there there wouldn't be a better uh, rival. I just think that yeah, the you know the people are very people are very alike, and it's you wouldn't have a better team than. Yeah, if we end up getting home field and you guys come to Kansas City, let us know. Yeah, I got a couple of plays. You guys are more than welcome to stay at one of the places or do whatever. Yeah. Well, you guys are coming here this year. So you let us know. It looks like that. <laughs> Listen to it. I hear you, man. I hear you. So perfect. Yeah. If you get any crazy ideas or, uh, you know, any ventures that we might need to partake in, hit us up and be yeah. fun partners to have. So love to talk to you guys more. Really so. good. Really good. Thank you. You guys yeah, have a good day. Thanks, Thank guys. You. Have a good day.